pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Declarations of War. We are your hosts, Alexei Card and Andy Astronaut. Hello, hello. This is a special, mostly Eve Vegas edition of the show. As you guys know, we just had East Vegas this previous weekend. Lots to talk about from that. It was really great to have that event back after being canceled for the corona lockdown. So we'll have the inside scoop on all of that. But before we get into it, we have a ongoing thing now where we're highlighting the best comments on our YouTube video highlights. It's youtube.com slash C slash Alexei of K. And this week, Tweak87, in response to me desperately <laughs> trying to save my bowhead, desperation content is best content. Congratulations, Tweak, you've won an Eve partner skin. We also asked the audience, is Brave a paper tiger? We had this discussion about whether or not Brave... Because some, I think it was Artemis maybe threw out the phrase "paper tiger" for brave, and I was like, "What? That's a paper tiger is something that looks scary, but actually isn't. Brave isn't supposed to even look scary." It split the audience. I haven't seen this result in a poll in a very long time, but fifty-fifty, yes and no on brave being a paper tiger. Andy, what do you think about that? Yeah, I was actually surprised that it was so like split down the middle. I guess I, I get both sides of the argument. Like, I don't think Brave is particularly scary, but they can definitely like they have enough people that they can kind of throw some weight around. So I can get how like you know they have to be scary to be a paper tiger, but also like they're not necessarily that scary. Um, I don't know. Like, I kind of I think when you guys were arguing about it, I was kind of just on the sidelines. Like, I don't have strong opinions one one way or the other. I think that compared to some of the other larger groups, they're not that scary. But like, if Brave came to evict me and I was a small group, like I would be worried. Yeah. So I, I guess I would say they're not. At least in my opinion, I'd probably fall in the no category. But I don't have strong opinions about this one. I, I the way I would characterize it is for an alliance of their size and like concept or style, like more newbie friendly. I think they're probably exactly where they're supposed to be in terms of their military output. Yeah, I guess that's a good way. Maybe a little bit under even. I don't think that they have like a reputation for being some kind of fearsome superpower that they're not living up to. Yeah, I mean, when you go there as a small gang, uh, they're definitely scary. But yeah, I think outside of that, not so much. Anyway, interesting to see a question divide the audience like that. But I'll tell you what didn't divide us. E-Vegas, it brought us back together. Yeah, uh, I mean, you've kind of been like a, a longtime um, partaker, right? Like you've been there multiple years? Yeah, I've been there several years now. I'm trying to remember exactly how many. It's at least three, maybe even five. It's hard for me to remember exactly when I started to go. I'm pretty sure my first E-Vegas was before I moved out to the West Coast. So that would have been around like 2014-ish, I think, maybe 2013. So, yeah, I would say at least five Vegases now. And then um, I know that we didn't have E-Vegas last year. Did we have E-Vegas the year before that? Or has it been like two years since we had one? We did Remember? have it the year before that. Okay, so it's just been one year since we've had it. Um, it's felt like longer you know? though. Yeah, did you go to the one, you've been going, like, you went to the year before um, they canceled, right? Yeah. 
Um, how did that year kind of compare to this year? Uh, well, before it got canceled, it was an official CCP sponsored event. And certainly compared to this year, it was a lot more focused on Eve stuff. There was presentations and roundtables. Um, I think attendance was larger, even though I was surprised that just how many people came this year it definitely exceeded my expectations. But it still was a fraction of what it used to be. Yeah, um, which I think that probably tracks with it being kind of a community-run event versus an official event, right? Yeah, and, and to CCP's credit, at the last minute, they pulled some strings and sent some devs. I got to meet CCP Aurora, CCP Ice Cream. Did not get to meet Dopamine, but he was there, and his presence was felt. But they didn't have any, like, special announcements. There was no, like, exclusive trailer or anything along those lines. There were just n actually no official EVE content at all, even player run. It was a lot of pub crawling. It was a lot of hanging out. It was a lot of people gambling or seeing shows together, grabbing drinks and dinners, sharing meals. Um, not a lot of, like, organized EVE discussion. We definitely took over the Circa Bar. That was, like, the main... Uh, casino that everything was kind of revolving around. And any time of day you went there, there were Eve players sort of setting up shop there. And it was the place to go to meet up with everybody. That's pretty cool. It sounds almost like a kind of like an extended Eve meetup more than like an actual like event almost. Yeah, it kind of it. The vibe was definitely more like that. But it, at the same time, it did still feel special because you had so many more people coming from so many more places than a regular Eve meetup. Eve meetups tend to be very regional. This was definitely like, I don't know if it literally had an international feel. Because other than the CCP folks, I don't know if people were able to come from out of country. But we had people coming from the East Coast, South. They were coming from all over for this, Midwest. Yes. Huge goon presence, huge horde presence. I was going to say, speaking of that, like, were there anybody, was there anyone in particular that you, like, had wanted to meet that was there and you got to meet? Or, like, anyone of, like special note that you got to talk to um in terms of like people that i hadn't met before that i was really excited to meet i did get to meet ccp aurora um she's been extremely active with the alliance tournament and i feel like of the devs i didn't know this year that i got to know a little bit better and and really understand what they did i think she really stood out so i was very happy that we got to see each other i gave her a, a mask with our alliance logo on it and uh, just, I mean, you know, you don't want to monopolize the devs' time because everybody wants to talk to them. I was just glad I got to say hi to her in person and thank her for everything she's done for the AT. Uh, Player-wise, I knew there were going to be some people there that I really wanted to see. Like, Brisk was there. Always happy to see Brisk. Um, Gobbins was there, which we had a nice long chat. Um, I got to meet him before, though, at some of the SoCal meetups. He's a really great guy. Super fun to talk to. Great Eve mind. And uh, just that overall really nice guy. I got to see the Matani and the meetup was small enough that we actually got more than five seconds to talk to each other, which was kind of cool. Um, you know, I see him at all the Eve Vegases, but he's usually like surrounded by an impenetrable wall of people trying to talk to him. Uh, this time around, there weren't enough people to make an impenetrable roll around anything. So I just went up to him on my way back to the hotel room and wound up having a nice long chat. Great guy as well. Um, Lady Scarlet I got to see. I did run into Hyper Viper, who organized the whole thing. We kind of played phone tag with each other, trying to meet up. Eventually we did. Uh, I think the coolest person I saw that I didn't expect to see was 
Um, let's see. So I ran into quite a few, but I think it, the 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 executive dock workers, I would have to say, was probably my most interesting conversation of people that I didn't expect to run into. Very cool. And there and were some... I had never met him before. I definitely didn't know he was going to be there. And when we started talking, I didn't even realize who he was. Just kind of came up in passing. And I was like, oh, okay. And we had a, I think we talked for like 45 minutes. He was really interesting. Yeah, super cool. And then we had some court members that were there as well, right? Yeah. Kira and Arce. We were supposed to have a fourth, but they had to drop at the last minute. But I got to see Kira, one of our um, more black ops oriented pilots. And Arce, who has not been super active because he's had a busted laptop, but he just got it fixed. And Eve Vegas was kind of his kickoff into returning into the Eve folds. And he's since popped on a couple times. It was really a lot of fun. Um, the travel for each of them getting there was horrendous. Uh, Arce drove like halfway here and then work called him for some kind of emergency. And he had to drive all the way back and then to start up the drive again. So he didn't wind up getting there till like deep Saturday afternoon. And then Kira was even worse. Lots of plane issues, cancellations, weight restrictions, you name it. It happened to her. She didn't get there till, I don't know, like six or maybe even seven o'clock Saturday night. This is when she finally hit the hotel. <laughs> it's just like, that's half the event gone. Yeah. So There's definitely a sense of trying to make up for lost time for those guys. Yeah, that's too bad. Like, I think that's kind of a, been a theme lately, but at least like, I'm glad that they actually got to make it and that they didn't have to cancel entirely. And we did have fun. I think the first thing they spent a lot of time with each other, I guess, because they were both in the same boat of, you know, missing out on much of the other stuff and also being in noir together. Uh, they got some barbecue on the Fremont Street strip. And then we just hung out for most of the night. Was it Saturday night, I guess? And then Sunday, we there's like this hotel. Excuse me, there's a pool on the top of the hotel with a gigantic television screen that they put sports on. So we set up shop in the pool and watched the Eagles game, which was cool because Kira and I are Eagles fans. Arce was a Raiders fan, and my fiance was also a Raiders fan. So oh, so it was like even. Yeah, yeah, that's the best kind of uh, watch. There, there was some friendly betting, friendly wagering, and lots of shit talk. And it was all in the pool. It was kind of a fun vibe. You know, we didn't we didn't like have anything to snack on really because they wouldn't let us bring food in. But it was a chill vibe. It was a chill vibe. And then after that, we went to a buffet and then to this place called Area 15, which I don't recall being there the last time I went to Vegas. If it was, I certainly never heard about it. My God, it is the coolest place ever. It's like a a gigantic warehouse that's converted into a series of interactive virtual reality or interactive arts sim installations. Like they had a, uh, a cocktail bar around a giant tree and the trees leaves were led lights that were synced up to music. So oh, that sounds like super cool. it was doing different patterns and colors depending on what was going on with the song. And they had like a kind of a fantasy wood, like an elvish wood environment, all blacklit though, like real trippy and psychedelic. Yeah, it sounds super interesting. And it had the Omega Mart, which is the thing that we all did together. What is the Omega Mart? The Omega Never Mart. Never heard of this either. Submit to savings, Andy. <laughs> it's a supermarket which wants to bring you the best savings at any cost. 
it's like this dystopian future supermarket with all these really weird or vaguely sinister products in it. And some of them are just weird. Like it has corn PM. It's Tylenol PM, but just corn. <laughs> what? There's salted peanuts that does is 100% salt, no nuts, but may contain nuts. All right. <laughs> Sounds interesting. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I don't think I would do my shopping there, but I'd at uh, least go look. You can get condensed moth milk if you're so inclined. I mean, that just seems uh, economical. Uh, tessellated fruit cocktail. <laughs> and all these products are like completely imagined. Like there's the, the label of it. And then they have like the ingredients list and it, like it's all fully packaged as if it was an actual thing and you can pick it up off the shelf and look at it. And then you got to, you know, explore the rest of the store and there's uh, various idiosyncrasies and staff walking around doing weird things. Like this lady kept walking up and down a couple aisles, hitting various products with a tuning fork, including bags of chips. <laughs> Sounds like uh, definitely like an interesting experience. Very, very cool. And uh, for anyone that's going, take the time to like literally interact with everything. If you, there's like a hole in the wall inside the camping tent in the outdoors section, and you can crawl through it and go into a special area. Um, there's, there's like little racks of 96 hour energy drinks on some of the freezers containing all the other drinks. And if you open up some of those, you may get transported into kind of this nightmarish hall of twisted Coke bottles that leads you into a back area where the factory is just gets progressively more interesting with the more you pay attention to the details and the more you explore. It was by far the coolest thing we did. Uh, well worth, I mean, it was a long, it was a long thing. Must've spent at least an hour in there, but it was worth every minute of it. Huh? Interesting. So I guess getting back to kind of the more Eve related things, I know we said it was a little bit more like a meetup, but there were still some kind of Eve specific events. Um, were there anything? Andy, where... There was salt after dark as a product. <laughs> salt after dark. That's <laughs> the most Eve related thing we could possibly have found. <laughs> I mean, fair. That's fair. I guess as long as far as uh, Eve events, was there anything that kind of stood out to you that was like your favorite? You know, honestly, no. We didn't really do much Eve-wise. Um, there was a big pub crawl, but our flight was delayed. Not nearly as much as Kira's, but it was still delayed. So by the time we landed, that was pretty much done. We threw our bags down, and neither my fiancé or I were feeling particularly well because we had some really bad airport food. And so we just kind of like chilled for a little bit, and by the time we were feeling all right, that pub crawl was long over, and people just chilling at the Circa Bar. And Saturday, we had a lot of stuff planned that was just us or it was me trying to find Kira at our site to hang out. So there wasn't a whole lot of Eve Eve stuff. Um, there was supposed to be a bigger hangout at the stadium swim on Sunday, but they jacked the price up for the football game. And a lot of people were kind of turned off by that, which I totally understand. So it wound up only being the four of us hanging out. And I think there was a group of Bastion players in a different section of the area. It was a huge place. Um, so they we saw like bastion flags somewhere, but they were kind of keeping to themselves. And that was pretty much it. Like there were other events going on, but they were either at times which weren't great for us or we just missed them due to travel restriction. 
Gotcha. Well, we kind of alluded to this a little bit, but how was uh, your return trip from Vegas? Fucking nightmare. <laughs> Vegas did not want us to leave. Every every one of us had travel issues except for Arce, who was leaving but with his own truck. Uh, Kira had another delay. Uh, it wasn't nearly as bad. She was able to leave that night. Our flight got delayed and then canceled. And then we weren't able to get another flight the next day or the day after that. So we were kind of figuring out like what we were going to do. And Alaska, to their credit, at least gave us a hotel room and like refunded us and stuff. But we still had no way home. So we cycled through a couple of different options of how we were going to get from Vegas to the Bay Area with no plane and no car. Wow. <laughs> the yeah. train that we can get. And we had to do it basically within a day because we both had work. So we, we took off the the next day because there was no way we were going to make it back Monday. It's just impossible. So we wound up going with a one-way car rental, which is a thing apparently. And so we picked up a car at the Vegas airport and took it to the SF airport and dropped it off. And apparently that's fine. It wound up being a 14 and a half hour trip from leaving our hotel to finally getting into our apartment. Oh man, yeah, that's a long drive. Yeah, it was it was brutal. I think I've driven from around where I am down to like Sacramento, which is I think an eleven hour drive. I don't know if I've done farther than that personally, but I would not do that if I had the choice to just fly. So and this uh, is all after like going to the airport, going through airport screening, sitting at the airport for like two hours, at least two hours, to try to figure out what was going on. And then, like, another figure an hour to get from the airport to the hotel we had to stay at and check in. Like, we were just so exhausted because it feels like we already did the travel, but then we had 14 more hours of travel to do. Yeah, and it's also at the end of the trip when you're, like, finally ready to get home, too. Like, I feel like that'd be mm-hmm. awful. And we both had to call out of work, so we already felt shitty about that. It's just, like, one thing after another kept going wrong. Luckily, but, we didn't run into any car trouble or anything like that. On the yeah, line. I was going to say. The one nice thing. You did make it back successfully, so that's what matters. Yep, we made it. All good. Uh, our pet was fine. We, were all, we didn't like plan to leave him alone for that long, so we were kind of concerned about that. But it turns out everything kind of worked out, thankfully. But, man, they did not make it easy. Apparently, the deal was the uh, flight crew that they were using for that plane because they had experienced so many delays that day, they had spent more time in the air than they were legally allowed to. So that due to FAA rules, they literally couldn't send them back on the plane and there was no other replacement crew. And all the other flights the next day and the day after were to capacity. Either they always were or the cancellations from that night kind of pushed them over. So there was just no possible solution. It was just Nothing we could really do about it. There wasn't even anybody to get mad at. It was just, that was how it is, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we're not the only people out there having some bad luck. Fortunately, Dreadbomb has had more setbacks in their Tenerifus campaign against Fireco. They still have their staging Fortazar. It is reinforced. I presume they will contest it. Uh, however, they had had a number of series of Sob losses. It was evident on the map the other day. Uh, just a wave of Sob and Tenerifice lost, mostly reclaimed by Fireco or affiliated alliances. 
Hard to say, you know, we don't really have uh, any inside info on how actively those timers were defended or if there were timers that were strategically chosen over others to defend. But certainly in terms of the overall outcome, they lost a whole bunch of systems on the Saab front. Still have staging Fortazars, still have a presence there. Unknown at this time, if they're going to actively defend that fort, you would presume that they would, based on what we've heard from Dreadbomb members uh, in relation to our previous podcast, but it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, I think my understanding is that that, force is, that fort has been reinforced a couple times um, and been defended successfully, but now I think that the attackers are coming with a little bit more more bat phones and more kind of vigor. Um, and I think, like we talked about last time, they strategically, um, Dreadbomb has talked about kind of pulling back um, their staging. And so I think that the fact that they're not necessarily holding that SOV or trying to hold that SOV kind of goes along with what they've stated publicly. How reliable do you think public statements are in this kind of scenario? I mean, I think this kind of goes back to our discussion about what was the point of them actually deploying against fire in the first place, right? And I think it was mostly for content and kind of, you know, vendetta type thing. There's some bad blood with some of the groups that are in fire and that kind of thing. I don't think there's ever been really a strategic benefit to holding that space for Dreadbomb. And so I guess when that's the case and you don't necessarily have a you don't have anything riding on holding that sob or holding that space, right? So in that case, I think there's no reason to be like, oh, we didn't want it anyways, because there really was no great value to have that space for them. It was more for content and that kind of thing. And I think well, that's been true since the beginning. Yes and no. I mean, they could easily play it off like that because at the end of the day, it's not their home region. They have plenty of space to fall back into. But if you'll recall way back when we were living in province and got politicked out, what was the driving force behind Dreadbomb supporting that decision? They wanted crab space. At the time, they wanted Pravi to become their crab space. I pointed out that's almost impossible, given Providence's geography. What was one of the next things they did after we were gone? Start to take Tenerifus space. So I think they see Tenerifus or saw Tenerifus as their potential crab haven that's like more secluded than Providence, less prone to being dropped and stuff, or less prone to being roamed. So it's not without strategic value for them i definitely think that they want that i mean that's true but they also spread into catch after we left some as well right so i think that they have more space than when we were kind of politicked out so i guess i agree that that space you know it's not like that space has no value whatsoever but i think that they aren't necessarily hurting for crab space no it's i well I think Dreadbomb has aspirations, and those aspirations include getting as much crab space as they can get their hands on. I I agree with you in that, it, like losing Tenerifus isn't like some sort of mortal blow to them at all. But I don't think that they're. It, it, I don't think it's not a strategic setback. Let's put it like that. I think they actually did want Tenerifus, and I I don't think it was just about content for them. And I think they're. You know, them losing it's going to bother them a little bit. It's just not going to be a serious issue for them because at the end of the day, they didn't need that space in the first place from a objective point of view. But from a subjective point of view from them, they want it. Now they don't have it. They, they want it. They got it. They don't have it anymore. 
that's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I could see it being kind of like Providence initially for RC, right? Where you go there for the content, you take a little space, you end up just kind of setting up shop. And then if the group that was originally there kind of crumbled, you would take it and make it yours. But you're not necessarily like explicitly aiming for that, right? I, I could kind of see a situation like that. But I think that, like I said, like a lot of it, they don't objectively need... Um, and I don't think it really hurts them either, like view wise, because a lot of this isn't like them getting beaten by fire. It's more like lots of bat phones are involved, um, big fleets of like 200, 300 versus 300 that aren't actually like no one lives there kind of thing that's involved in the fleet. Or I guess a, the, a small portion of the fleets that are there are the people that are actually like actively fighting. So I think that like with all of that, I don't think it looks bad on them for losing some of their space that they've captured. I don't think it necessarily like is something they need. So I don't think it's like a moral defeat or a like objective defeat either. Yeah, fair enough. Well, unfortunately, we have another kind of grayish story to talk about, which is uh, NSH coup. They had a leadership coup. And one of the first things the new leadership did was attach a for, attack a Fortazar in Pochman. And I don't know. I feel like both sides can claim a win on that. So let's talk about the coup first. Um, longtime podcast listeners will know NSH were friends of ours back when we were living in Great Wildlands with Capitalist Army. They were the guys that actually invited us in to put up our first ever trade hub. And they supported and defended it for a long time. Um, but, you know, this is Eve, the political winds shift. And they wound up aligning themselves with fraternity and moving into tribute, kicking out Rope Capel, who used to be their allies in Great Wildlands, ironically. So that's where things have kind of been for a while. And uh, newer Admiral Wheeler, those were the two main head honchos over there. They're now out along with Wally Martz, the best poster in EVE Online. And they've been replaced by Pittsburgh, who is, if you're not familiar with him, Pittsburgh has led several alliances at this point. I don't even know what would be considered his main alliance success. Uh, but he's been alliance executor or senior leadership in many NELSEC alliances at this point, uh, none of which have lasted super long. Although I would be hesitant to say any of that is really his fault. It just seems to be the crews that he's attached to don't have a ton of staying power sometimes, but not all of them. Some of, some of them he's been there for quite a while. I think, yeah, because he was originally in goons, right? Um, and then I think there was like a pretty public leave from there and he went to trigger happy next, which is where I kind of knew him from the most. I think it, I can't remember if it was Goons or Horde that he was originally in. I should probably look that up. But yeah, anyways. I don't think our, our our audience would be terribly familiar with a lot of the corpse that he's been in, but he's been playing the game since 07, 08. He's been around for a while, and he definitely would recognize some of the alliances that he's been in. Yeah. Overall, yeah, what do you think right. about the, the coup in general, Andy? Um, somehow... Anur and Wally got voted out, and they went up going over to Snuff. Pittsburgh, I think, is a natural alliance leadership choice if you want somebody with experience, but, you know, the rationale behind why the coup would be needed in the first place, I think that's the first place we should want to start. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess I haven't followed NSH super closely, but I do know that kind of after their public break with Rote, their siding with Frat, they did go on a campaign against RC, actually, which is how I knew that they had kind of broken off and done some different things. And my understanding is that that didn't go super well for them. Um, And so I'm not sure if it was maybe the choice for them to kind of go against the people that they traditionally been allies with, if it was the kind of poor success of their campaign after that, or what exactly that kind of led to the coup itself. Um, I haven't heard anything internally about what happened. So I'd be kind of curious to get both sides of that story or like kind of the, the side of the story from someone who's actually inside NSH and was there and knows why they kind of ultimately cooed. Well, all we have are the the public statements from the various parties involved. Of course, Wally's public statement was just a elaborate, elegant troll. So that's useless. As is tradition. <laughs> As is tradition, yes. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect uh, anything less. And as for the rest of it, I don't know. It just says it voted out. Not really too much there. It just says future direction. Yeah, I mean, maybe someone else had some big plan and it couldn't happen with the leadership that was there currently. But I don't know. I mean, you don't see a lot of people getting voted out in EVE, right? Like usually large groups, they either do well under the same leadership, that leadership kind of directly hands off the reins to someone else, or that leadership takes the alliance into the ground with them. Like, you don't really see a lot of like, oh, we voted for new leadership and this person's taking over. I think actually, I'm I'm sure it's happened before, but this is like one of the few times I've ever seen it. And then just did some more research on Pittsburgh's history. The main alliance he would be most known for is Trigger Happy. Right. Yeah. And he came, I also looked up, he came from Goons originally, um, left Goons. There was kind of uh, a whole kind of debacle there. Um that kind of involved him, I think, taking like a pretty risky dread bomb play um, and ended up losing some dreads from a dread cache, um, left goons and went to Trigger Happy. And then Trigger Happy is where he was for a good amount of time. And if I recall correctly, they they went through a lot of fluctuations. I don't think they formally collapsed, collapsed at any point, but they were like small, then got big, then smaller, kicked out of a couple places and then finally settled in tribute, I think. Right. That sounds about right. Apologies to Pittsburgh for getting his biography wrong. <laughs> We're doing our best. But yeah, now in now in snuff, uh, allegedly from this posting by NSH, Pittsburgh wants to go launch a campaign against Test. But like we said, one of the first things they did was launch an attack in Poshvan against one of the few remaining Citadels, a Fortazar belonging to Rokebell, I believe. Right. And what makes this interesting is, um, I think we've talked about it before with Pochvin mechanics, but basically um, capitals in Pochvin can't be built anymore, but there's legacy capitals. So anything that was there when it got turned into Pochvin space stayed there, um, but you can't build new ones. And similarly, any structures that were there um, stayed there, but you can't put down new structures. So both capitals and structures in Pochvin kind of have this special value that you don't see outside of Pochvin. Yeah, they're they're truly unique in that specific area of space. And while NSH aimed to kill the Fortazar, it did rep. However, in the process of defending it, they lost four of those irreplaceable capitals. 
actually, yeah, I'm looking at it now. It looks like they lost five. They lost four facts and one dread, um, which is, yeah. Oh, yeah, um, I missed that last one on that. So yeah. Which, five caps. Yeah, which they did. I mean, they saved the structure, and they did um, win the timer. They took quite a few ships with them. Um, I think that I didn't look at the final kind of battle report um, no, and how bloody it was. It's pretty bloody. Uh, over a hundred billion lost, and most of it, I'd say about two to one ratio, was lost by Rocapel screw and the defenders there. Right. Mostly Rocapel and Dreadbomb, uh, specifically. Yeah, that probably is pretty heavily skewed by some of these capitals because they were very uh, expensively fit. Um, for example, one of the rote faxes was 16 bill and had some officer mods on it. So Which that you would do in that circumstance. Well, yeah, if you can never get another capital back in, right? Um, I think you make the capitals that you have there work as well as they can, right? Because you're not mm-hmm. going to get a second one. So that makes sense. Um, but I think that's probably part of why the um, butcher's bill is so high and also why the the isk is so skewed towards... I mean, I've seen worse, right? I think it's a 70-30 um, kind of with isk loss in more in NSH's favor, right? Or uh, I guess yeah. the efficiency more in NSH's favor. It's hard to it, so raw isk wise, you're right. It's hard to say exactly what the uh, qualitative value of those caps are versus the uh, the Fortizars that that stayed. Like, is was it worth it to trade them when neither is replaceable? I think at the end of the day, only Rote can really say on that one. It they will say this: they defended two to one, so they fought outnumbered. And managed to hold on to the Fortisar. That is a pretty big accomplishment. They traded a lot for it. Yes, that's true. So, I mean, at the end of the day, they have their structure. Whether or not NSH goes for it again is the big question, I think. If they, they go for it again, I think, you know, if you need to feed capitals to save your fort, I don't know if you can do that indefinitely, right? Especially given the situation. But it might be a big enough kind of fight or hurdle that it doesn't happen again and it doesn't happen again anytime soon. There's also groups out there who are happy to take frat and frat affiliated alliances down a peg. Now that they know this is a timer that they'll show up for, it's entirely possible Rokapel will be able to enlist the help of more third-party defenders. Yeah, I think that's also true. I I would have showed up if I knew about it. Yeah, I know. Uh, we did have some members there, but it was all kind of last minute stuff. And I had, I think I had just stepped out to get some food or something when it all went down. So I missed out. But yeah, I didn't around, realize, I'd love to be there. Yeah, I didn't realize it had happened. Otherwise, I would have been there for sure. Uh, finally, or excuse me, not quite finally, but getting close to finally, Alliance Tournament Prize Ships announced some really, really exciting offerings. The yeah. Raiju, which is basically a damp armor, and the Laylaps, an Orthrus with a Hick point. Yes, and not only a Hick point, but a bonus range Hick point. So um, the Laylaps, basically, based on the description, I don't know if we've gotten the exact kind of percentage bonuses that they're getting, um, but the way it's described is essentially it's going to stay as fast as an Orthrus, more or less, um, but it's going to have a much farther Hick range, like a Hick module range, um, and high damage. And then likewise, the Raiju gets a damp bonus specifically, so 
that it's going to be an ECM frigate that can basically damp you down to nothing like it carries, but then can still shoot out Garmer DPS and go Garmer speeds. I think a lot of the small gang guys are really excited about the Raiju. I kind of like the Laylaps. I think uh, an Orthos with a hick point, a bonus hick point at that is a very exciting proposition. I'm all about the ECM frigate. I am on board for that. It's like a carries and a Garmer together. I don't know what else you could want, especially because I think I rarely fly cruisers. I usually fly like frigates or destroyer down. So it's like the perfect, like, I, I it's a great ship. The ECM frigate is like everything I could ask for from um, like a AT ship. They're also making these prizes a lot more accessible to the team. So if you make the top 16, you will get some of the AT ships. I actually don't know how I feel about this. Uh, we will likely benefit from that because I think we only have to win one match to get an AT ship. But at the same time, that feels a little too accessible. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's obviously a lot that goes into even getting to an AT match, right? So I do think there's some layers of kind of restriction there. Um but yeah, it does feel a little bit weird. It feels like almost a little less rewarding to have an AT ship because of how many people will be getting them. Granted, much less. So if you kind of at the lowest tier, you get just four ships. You get two of the frig and two of the cruiser. Um, and then you get kind of two more up until you get to the top, which I think is like 20 of each, 20 cruisers, 20 frigates. I'd have to double check. So there is definitely kind of, you know, you get much more of them if your team wins. But I do think it's a little less special because, you know, if you look at EVE traditionally, just having an AT ship is just such a status symbol. It doesn't matter what ship you have. It is like you are one of the very few people that has them. Even just forget about the EVE context, you know, competitive tournaments in general. I've never heard of the top 16 teams all getting prizes. That's some participation trophy shit. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. I think like... Even if it was like top eight, I think I'd be okay with it. Um, but I, I feel like it's just like almost like too restrictive. And like you said, like we're likely to benefit from this because again, like we don't have to win many matches to get in the top 16, but it's still, it just like almost doesn't feel right. And in the spirit of the competition, like I, I wish that they were a little more restrictive. I, I do think that like top four is tough when there's some teams that basically have been able to recruit top tier pilots and their entire kind of game style is built around that. Yeah. But like they deserve to win. Um, and I think too, like with the fact that you can't use AT ships in AT tournaments now, I think that the value of having an AT ship is more like, like I think it should be almost more exclusive. I think if you were going to include AT ships in the tournament, you're like, hey, look, you could use AT ships from the past in next tournaments. Then it makes sense to make it a little less restrictive because then everyone has at least a few of them that they could use and put on the line. But if the only use of them is to be on TQ, I think they should stay as like kind of a very unique status symbol and like a really like just a reward for doing so well. Yeah, top four, I think it makes the most sense logically. If you wanted to say, hey, that's too restrictive because the same teams are getting them all the time, opening it up to top eight, I think would have hit that accessibility mark and still made it feel more special. 16 feels, it feels like a lot. Um, maybe CCP's just experimenting with it. Maybe we'll see it different in the future. 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, my big thing is like if you could use them in AT tournaments, they definitely give you an advantage, right? And so in that case, I think it makes sense to make it a little less restrictive so that if teams are competing, they, you know, there's a better chance that you can get one and give yourself an advantage. But when the only kind of advantage to the ship is flying it on TQ, and when that's not necessarily like a, obviously it's a stronger ship than any other ship that's in the class, but you're always going to be fighting outnumbered if you're in an AT ship. Like you bring one out and a hundred people will show up to a rage being kind of thing. So I don't think it gives you like a crazy advantage and it's not like it's going to make it super OP. I, I think that it just like, yeah, I, I wish they were more restrictive still, but we'll see how it goes. Like you said, they may change it. This is the first year back. Um, so I'm sure they're tweaking a lot of things and seeing how it goes. And talking about recent changes to the Crab Beacon. Yeah, so I think this is kind of our last point for the show. Um, for those of you that maybe you do or don't remember, the Crab Beacons are the name for kind of the new capital sites. Um, so these are designed to be done in NullSec. You drop them down, you um, bring a capital, and then you link to it. And basically, while you link to it, you have a timer that ticks down, and you um fight kind of like waves i think you called it like a what was it like a horde mechanic or uh yeah like a horde mode yeah, horde. um where you basically get wave after wave of uh npcs that fight you um with kind of bonus rewards and so kind of our only update here is they basically increase the payouts and they've decreased the cost of actually making the beacon that you put down so basically the rewards you get are higher than they have been in before and um, at least kind of through the grapevine, I've heard that this more or less is um, close to C5 ratting. So C5 dread ratting is kind of the best is per hour you can possibly get in the game, at least that I know of. Um, and so it's done with kind of three dreads and a wormhole and you do wormhole sites. Um, this, I think, can be done with like two dreads, kind of rapid fire in the same style. And it doesn't quite get you to the same level, but it gets you close. Um, so we'll see if maybe it catches on and we see more capitals in space because of this. But the other kind of interesting thing about this change is that they also altered the aggression mechanics. So in theory, when you come into a site um, to tackle a carrier or whatever is doing the site, whether it's carrier dread, um, whatever capital, in theory, um, the aggression should stay on the capital ship that's doing the site. And so this is interesting because, um, especially for us doing a lot of kind of hunting nullsec space, one of the most frustrating things is when you tackle a ship and instead of the rats continuing to attack the ship that was killing them, they decide to switch to you and start shooting your tackle ship. Um, so in theory, that shouldn't happen in these sites. The, the site should continue to shoot the ship that's doing it. And so I'm kind of excited about that mechanic and hoping that if that mechanic works well, they'll roll it out to all NPCs. Well, hopefully it leads to more adoption in NullSec, like the, the value changes, and then these aggression changes more viable for the fighting. I think both groups would benefit from more content. The PvEers want the money. The PvPers want the opportunity for a really wild fight against CapShip. Moving on to host highlights. Uh, one thing we didn't get to talk about in the Vegas bit above was the zombie shooting thing that they have at Area 15. It was, I mean, I've had a lot of VR experiences. I'd still say the best VR game I've ever had so far was ironically Eve Valkyrie when they brought it to Vegas a couple years back. 
I got to fly with Chesser. It was remarkable. Very fun. This one was also pretty cool. It was kind of a rail shooter experience. Um, they put you in a truck, like a modified truck with hydraulics. They give you the VR gun, the VR headset, etc. And you shoot the zombies as they're running up against the truck, and you got to protect this uh, civilian transport. And you know the the truck that you're in will simulate bumps in the road, simulate zombies jumping on that kind of stuff by like rocking back and forth. My fiance and I took it on. We were each like, we were like back to back in the truck. She had one side. I had the other one. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I clearly was like a game where you couldn't die, but it was just for points, but it didn't feel like you couldn't die. Cause there are definitely points where we thought we were going to bite it. <laughs> So they did a really good job suspending disbelief, and just overall, it was a, a very cool, fun experience. There were moments where I was like physically backing away from the the things in the VR experience, and the staff had to like remind me that I shouldn't move so I don't like trip over something and break my leg. It was, it was very, very good. Uh, well worth it, and. I, <laughs> My fiance was pretty skeptical because she, she really wanted to get right into Area 15. I'm like, oh, what about this cool thing over here? But man, a couple minutes into it, she was really into it. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun shredding zombies. Wanted to do it with Kira and Arce, but unfortunately they were closed when we got there on Sunday. Don't know why. No explanation. Said that it was open on Google. They were just locked. But, uh, you know, maybe next year we'll take the crew. It seems like you could do it in groups of four. Yeah, that's cool. It sounds good. Yeah. What was your highlight? So my host highlight was actually yesterday. Um, so we went on kind of a casual blops room actually with Kira. So Kira FC'd this, um, kind of put together um, the bridger and all that fun stuff. We took out some um, actual blops battleships as well as T3Cs. So I got to do some T3C Lodgy, which was fun. I uh, haven't done that in a while. And I got to hunt some as well. Um, and we actually ended up catching a golem, um, which like amazingly. So I spotted this golem. He warped to a structure before I could tackle him. I chased him to the structure. And then for who knows why, I have no idea. He warped to a gate and then tried to jump through the gate. So I followed him with my hunter. Um, and then one of our friends was also coming along, tagging right behind. Um, I jumped through and then I see him cloak on a gate. And I was like, what kind of golem cloaks like why does he have a cloak fit and i was super super confused but i had like a rough idea of where he had gone and so um i was using like a hunter prospect and i was trying to decloak him and i just like couldn't quite hit him and so i kind of showed where he had cloaked up because i knew he wasn't really moving he was you know more or less right there um and then our second hunter came in with um i can't remember i think it was a hunter tengu and kind of zoomed around about where I was and sure enough, bumped into him, decloaked him. Uh, and then we just absolutely dropped right on top of him and nuked him. I think he got maybe one rep cycle off. And it was kind of unfortunate because we finally had a fleet where we could actually take like a well-fit um, Marauder and I think take it down just fine. Like we had the Lodgy for it. We had the Newts for it. Like we were prepared. And then this one just between... Um, his decloak like uh, lock delay and then the scan res delay from the cloak fit. I don't even know if he locked anyone before he died. And so it was one of those things where it's like, oh, we finally have a fleet where we can take this no matter what. 
and then he just like didn't even fight um so it was super cool to catch him it was really fun hunting like i caught a couple things he had someone else catch a couple things um like good blop fleet it was nice kind of longer casual we went for quite a few hours um so i had a really fun time doing that i was also on said fleet and can vouch it was a good time <laughs> the golem thing was definitely the funniest there was so much trepidation about if we could actually tank a golem and making sure he had enough logic. I don't think he shot a single person. Nope. Yeah, he didn't, <laughs> didn't even have to use our logic. And that was the thing. I think, uh, so you were in the third logic ship, right? And I think we had done the math before and figured out that we needed specifically three logic. So um, you got there just in time. We were like, oh, I don't think we could take a Marauder with the, the logic that we have. And then you showed up and we we're like, oh, I think we could do this. Turns out we didn't need any logic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was a great fleet. And shout out to Kira for FCing it. We we talked in Vegas about wanting to do more blop stuff. And I was like, Kira, you should FC more. And she's like, I've been. It's like, well, when's the last time you ran a blops fleet? And I was like, well, we'll run them this Sunday. I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, man, we, we definitely painted the board green. That was fun. Would happily do it again. It's my first time doing a Black Ops Lodgy. Kind of wish I had a little more action on the Lodgy front, but worked out all right. Giving out some shout-outs, our Golden Elite supporters. It has grown. Mark Havoc, Kestrel Swainson, Acer Card, Krav. Thank you, everyone. And thank you so much for all the people that I got to see at E-Vegas, including some dear friends I haven't seen in person since COVID happened. Uh, Gobbins, Lady Scarlet, everybody from the like the Southern California Eve community. Great people. Uh, so good to see Brisk again. Um yeah, it was just, it was great. It started to feel like we were coming back to normal. Really looking forward to Vegas next year. I'll absolutely be there. And I encourage everyone in our audience who has the ability and the time, take that opportunity because it's a really, really great Eve event. And you can have a lot of the community and camaraderie without having to make the trek all the way over to Iceland, which you should also do at least once in your lifetime. But this is a, a much more accessible trip. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. Um, and actually, Acer was on that fleet, the Bluff fleet with us as well, and was the one that decloaked the Golem. So a mini shout out from me to him as well. Um, but my main shout out, I think, wanted to I wanted to um, give to basically our whole AT team, um, including the people who have been kind of alternates, helpers, all that kind of thing. Um, AT is this weekend, so we're less than a week out, and we've come impressively far. Um, I think it was actually Lave. Unfortunately, he's not here because we're recording later than we normally do. Um, but he gave us like a very nice spreadsheet of kind of each of our comps and how often we've been winning with them um, kind of throughout the course of our practices, starting way, way back when Alliance Tournament was initially announced. And you can see that like basically it shifted from us losing the majority of our matches to us winning the majority of our matches. And so that's been a super, super cool thing to see. Um, like we've talked about, we have a really kind of new team, fresh team, not a lot of tournament experience, if any. Um, and so just seeing how far we've come has been really, really cool. And seeing kind of basically all of that has just been, you know, effort and dedication, people showing up to practices, people taking it seriously, people continuing to practice and practice and practice consistently. And like, it's just made such a difference. So shout out to everyone who's like taken the time over literal months now um, to do that and to kind of commit to practices so that we can get better. Yeah. And it all comes down to this coming Saturday at 2030. That's our match. 
Oh, man. Uh, I guess since this is going to be the last opportunity we have to publicly comment about it, Andy, uh, do you have any preferences over who we're facing and how are you feeling about our chances? Oh, man, <laughs> the toughest question. Our first round is going to be tough no matter what. Um, I don't have a preference. Both the teams we could face, which is either Exodus or Platinum Sensitivity, are really, really good. Um, I know pilots on both teams and know just how good they are on TQ. Um, I, you know, whichever one we get, it'll be a challenge. We'll do what we can. And, you know, however it goes, it goes. Uh, it's double elimination. So even if we lose our first round, we have a chance to kind of fight through the loose bracket if that happens. And like, I'm fairly confident that we can make something happen. So I'm, I'm very like optimistic in general. Plot twist, our first match on the loser's bracket as we form Volta. Oh man. <laughs> oh, man. What does make me feel good, so this is a little bit of a tangent, but we're at the end, so I feel like we can do it. Um, the EVENT stream um, did kind of the, if you've ever seen it, like the, the tier list, kind of S tier, ABC kind of thing that you see with um, like fast food restaurants or whatever. You know, it's been kind of a popular thing to take them and rank them. Um, and we fall in like the very bottom category, which is good luck. Um, but what makes me feel really good, I actually had multiple people ask me, like, how do you feel about being ranked at the bottom? I was like, you know, like we, we have no tournament experience, um, nothing to really show. We did one opens and it was single elimination and we lost our first round. So like we haven't really shown anything publicly that would make anyone think otherwise. So I'm fine about being there, but what makes me feel good is looking through, I won't name specific names, but we've gone against teams that are definitely on that list higher than we are and we have done as well or better than i expected us to do and so i'm really happy about i guess where we are and how we've performed relative to where we are and so that's kind of what makes me optimistic is i've seen some of the teams that are kind of ranked higher or people think will win more uh and we've done well against them we've been the best bottom tier alliance in eve for a long time now <laughs> between network or our mercenary group so i feel in Feeling pretty comfortable where we're at. Is that our, our new tagline? Best bottom tier alliance out there? <laughs> you really adopted bottom tier. We were born into it. Molded by it. <laughs> I thought we won like one AT match ever. There we go. We have a chance to win one more. Let's go. Let's go. Doubling our win percentage. I like it. There we go. Yeah. So if we win one, we're already in the top tier of uh, Noir AT teams. But I will say, like, we've, I mean, there's no getting around it, uh, all jokes aside. We are absolutely the underdog, regardless of which team we run into in our first match. But we've put more practice into this year than we ever have before, and I think we've done better in practices, both qualitatively in terms of, you know, how we've improved from our first practice to our last practice, and just numerically, like, watching our win-loss percentage against other teams. It's it's been the best this year. We've done more reps with more comps, more iterations of comps, and those comps have done better against a higher quality of team than we've ever been able to do before. So is it a long shot for us? I think realistically, yeah. Do we have the best chance that we've ever had? Also, yes. So we'll see how it all works out this Saturday. Excited to talk about it on the next show. Mm-hmm. And that's it, guys. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in the show poll. Head to youtube.com slash C slash Alexa of K to leave a comment on the show highlight. 
Noir recruitment is paused, but will be reopening after the Alliance tournament concludes, or at least our participation in it. Uh, generally speaking, the holidays are a nice time to join. You can kind of hop in. We're not going to be doing any super serious campaigns. We'll probably take a few contracts, but nothing huge. So you can kind of get your feet wet, get to know everybody, get yourself set up. And then usually uh, January, February, we usually have some really big contracts. So that tends to be how our year goes. We'll see if uh, 2021, 2022 cooperates with that. (laughs) This has definitely been a weird year, as has last year been a weird year. So anything's on the table. But I'd have to say, if you're thinking about making a change, as an EVE player, or if you're an EVE corporation thinking about changing alliances, you could do worse. And as far as timing-wise, this is the right time. So give it some thought. If you have any questions, uh, we're still handle- fielding questions. We're still fielding interviews. We're just not going to accept any people or corpse for like probably the next two weeks or so. So uh, with that, we're going to leave you. Whoever you are, wherever you're flying, and whoever you're supporting for the Alliance tournament, wish you the best of luck out there. Good hunting listeners.